Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Hey, at this time, I want to bring to the stage, with no further ado, uh, Dr. Marty Schaefer is going to be bringing the word today. Going to be talking about worship. And so, Marty, take it away, man. Yeah, thank you. I don't know. Um, you know, it's interesting as we navigate our way through life, there's so many things that we could be doing with our time and energy. And so it's always, it's hard sometimes to make it to all the different uh, church services and demands and things and opportunities that we have. But last week, if you were here, you heard a, a message about dust on the throne. And it's really fantastic. That message had to do with the fact that Jesus was fully human. And so he understands our humanity. And so while he is God of the universe and on the throne, he's okay with dust on the throne. He knows that we're just human. He knows that we're frail. He's got all that factored out, friends, so that as he's on the throne, he's good with a little dust. He just is. And so this morning, what I'd like to do in furthering that conversation, and it's an amazing message, uh, thank you for even taking on the theological significance of the humanity and the deity of Christ. It's, it, it's a, a difficult subject, and a lot of times in churches, you don't hear the deep hermeneutical uh, background and messages that we need to uh, understand with the theological significance of the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. That being said, you know what's even more significant, I think, than the humanity of Christ allowing dust on the throne? Friends, if, if this lands today, we'll have had a good day, but it's the purity of the throne of Jesus Christ in the human heart today. And so a couple months ago, I, forgive me because I can't always remember uh, things. Plus, I was in the Philippines a couple of weeks ago. I'm still not exactly perfectly calibrated with jet lag stuff. It feels to me like even this thing has shrunk down a little bit, this thing, but I don't know. But um, that's funny. That's all, I'm sure that was my son that did that. Hey, let's get him the stand that shrinks. Anyway. Uh, so when I was in the Philippines and bouncing around and, and moving through time stuff, I was just overwhelmed with the reality that this whole planet is completely in the hands of God. He's got it all figured out. He's coming back and this thing is perfectly in place. He's got it just where he wants it. And he can handle, believe it or not, he can handle living in the heart of a frail human being, just like he can keep that world spinning at a 4.3% axis and the whole bit. He's got this. He's got us, and not only that, he's good with it. He set it up to live in us. And I shared that with you a couple months ago when I spoke here. I said, believe it or not, the craziest thing, and I used the verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, that the spirit of the living God has built his temple in us, so you and I are the temple. And so if you can get that, you'll understand the bilingual reality, the bilingual faith that Dave has made sure that we're aware of. That it's just not about us trying to get to the throne of God. It's about God bringing the throne of his very most high place into the heart of a weak, struggling human being like you and me. That's what he's done. And if we can lean into that, it's amazing that the resources that are available in our humanity. Right. Our humanity's not left up with no opportunity. That's good. Our humanity has access to the throne of God 24-7, because guess what? He brought it in here. And if you're not good with this yet, if that's hard to imagine, it is hard to imagine, then on humanity, I just want you to consider this. Scientists know that you as a human being, depending on your age and how big you are, you have anywhere from 37 trillion, that's with a T, to 50 trillion cells in your body. That's how complicated you are. And so if you don't know what a trillion is, I mean, it's hard for me, like when we have a $15 trillion debt uh, as a country, it's hard for me to figure out how much that is. But can I tell you, if you take a trillion 
and you turn it into time, it works a little bit better. And so I've written down some stuff just because I want to make sure you understand how complicated your human body is so that you can better understand what it means to have the temple living in it. So let's say at an average, we have 40 trillion cells. So we'll take an average adult. That means that if you are looking at it in terms of time, one billion seconds is equal to 31 years. One billion seconds. So if it's hard for you to do time, let me say this. If you are counting to a billion, it would take you 31 years because you can, you can count about one number per second. You know, in single digits, you can do that. You get up to 1,005, it's tougher. You get up to 1,386,493, now you're a second half. You're with me? So if you were to count to a trillion, how long would it take you? 31 years. So if you have 40 trillion cells in your body and you wanted to count them and you could count one cell at a time, it would only take you 1,280,000 years just to count your cells. And that's, that's fact, friends. I'm, this isn't embellishment. That's the way you're wired. Oh, by the way, can I just tell you one more thing about this frail human body of ours? That of those 40 trillion cells in your body, each one of them has the DNA code of your whole body. Oh, by the way, the one that's here in my ear knows to be in my ear, not in my hand. But if you took it out of my ear, you can make a whole new body because it has the whole code in it. Is that crazy or what? That's how well designed we are. That's a human reality. Now, can I tell you what I can't figure out is how the God who did all of that from outside the system can build his throne in us, which isn't even limited by the physical realm. That's what's really going down. If we could just wake up and see it, all the physical stuff is just physical stuff. If you're playing cards, I grew up playing poker, and I'm sorry, it's a first card game like my parents taught, so I, I had a rough childhood in some areas. But at the very beginning, my mom would get so frustrated with me playing poker, which that even sounds bad just saying that, but anyway, yeah, when you hear yourself say stuff, it's like, yeah, I just said that, but so she'd get frustrated. She said, just put your cards on the table, and then she'd help you see what your hand really was. Oh, Lord, if you would help us this morning, this is my prayer if we could just put our spiritual reality of who you are in our lives, if we could just put our cards on the table and you could tell us who we really are, that would be amazing. Because we're so, we're so ignorant, we're so unaware, but this is a whole new realm for us. Your eternal forever realm is outside of our human system and it's hard for us to figure out. That's why your word talks about it so much. And just one more scientific fact and we'll jump into it is that we all know if you have any science background or any educational background, you know the number one law for observing everything in the physical realm is called, there are three laws of thermodynamics. But the very first one is that matter never ceases to exist, right? And so matter never ceases to exist. That means that there's this thing called its life. And they also will say, you can't create it and you can't stop it. They know that. It can morph from one form to another. So whatever you do, a human being, when they die, our matter still lives on, right? We call it carbon footprints or other things. Matter never ceases to exist. Every educated person, every scientist knows that. That's how they evaluate it. And so they go like this. Therefore, matter is of an eternal nature because it never ceases to exist. So everything in the human system, in this physical realm, guess what? That's the second law of thermodynamics. It's called entropy. It's all dying. So the only way for something to be introduced into a system that doesn't die when the system is all dying is to have something from outside come from and outside and come in. Do you understand that when I say the spirit of the living God is living in us, that he came from outside our system into this limited system so that we're not stuck as mere, fail, struggling human beings. We are children of the most high God. 
We talk about being born again. I want to put it in the way that the Greek does. You are born from above. There is a spiritual transaction from a system outside of our limited one that makes us unique, dynamic, and very different. That's what takes place. And when we get together to worship, oh my God, we ought to be worshiping. We ought to bring fire to the altar. We ought to bring something from outside of ourselves because it's in us and it's wanting out and we suppress it all the time. Why? Because of all the stuff that's going on around us that really it doesn't even matter. And we get sidetracked. I can't even tell you how many times I, as a pastor for 20 years, I didn't even want to go to church and I was preaching. I'm serious. It's like I looked at my message and I said, this thing's a dog. It's not going to mean anything to anybody because it was so human driven. And then even when I had a message that had fire to it, then I was thinking, you know what? I'm having to fight all hell just to get there to deliver it. It's why do I even do this? And I love Jason for bringing it out today because worship impacts the throne of God and Satan and all the forces of hell don't want us to be released in it. We might actually wake up and find out who we are one day before the day. And do we understand on worship that the reality of it is that we ought to start learning how to get really good at it because it's in our job description to do on an eternal level. I'd like to read some scriptures with you about um, worship, uh, but before I do, I just wanna give a disclaimer in that the whole subject matter of worship is weird. It just is. Uh, I'm acknowledging today that I've been, around on this planet for 59 years. And I've done a lot of work at trying to be normal. I really have. I mean, most of my life, guys, I've just wanted to be normal. Most of my life, I just wanted to fit in. And I'm acknowledging that truth. Middle of seven kids, rough families, just stuff like that. And I just, I just wanted to fit in. And then I come to worship and I realize that most of the circles I'm in, I don't fit in. Isn't that interesting? But then when I started really studying the word of God, the last book that I read thoroughly, thoroughly was the book of Revelations because I knew I didn't understand it. The other ones, I mean, I've studied Greek, I've studied Hebrew, I've learned the languages in their, in their original form, I've studied to show myself approved. I still shied away from the book of Revelation because it was so weird. It's just weird. It starts out like this. Hey, there's a weird spirit thing, John. Poke your head up off earth, look around. And by the way, there's no time and there's no linear congruency. Now I'm gonna talk to you about it. It's like that goes against everything that makes sense to me. <laughs> So you're gonna see time when there isn't time, but let's talk about it in reference to time. It's like, no, I, I couldn't get past chapter one. Then you get in, all right, let me talk to the churches. Well, is the church now, then, or later? Yeah. It's like, no. Are you, are you with, have any of you read that book? It's awful. Then I finally, I, I'm, I know it. I finally, I get to the fourth chapter and he says again okay now I want you to stick your head up a little bit further into heaven and I'm going to show you what's really going on I thought okay now I'm going to this is you know Peter I'm going to get it can I just ask you I don't have this particular passage do you have the weird slide up so I looked on my phone it was interesting because I was thinking this thing is weird look at this definition of strange, extraordinary, character, odd, and fantastic. Also of relating to or caused by witchcraft. Isn't that weird? Even weird is weird. Because they know it's something of not, it's not normal. It's something outside what we normally can experience on planet Earth. It's almost like supernatural. So if that's the definition of weird, we're in the right place, okay? We don't have to go to witchcraft. We're going to go to supernatural today, all right? And that's what we're going to see. So now look in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. You can just listen to me. 
It says, after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. So I'm starting to check out at this point as I'm reading it. Come on. It's like, okay, it's already weird. Anybody know what a jasper is? A jasper is this like effervescent, weird, translucent stone that doesn't even have one right color. And so you add that with other weird colors, it's literally making no sense. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Okay, starting to make a little sense. Out from the throne comes flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. Now I'm starting to understand the Old Testament a little bit better when the Jews said, okay, Moses, you go talk to him because we'd rather not. Right? You get close to him, Friends, how many of you feel like it's a good idea to get close to lightning and thunder and earthquakes? It's not where we're running. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal, and in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Okay, my mother actually obviously made it to heaven. The first creature, yeah. There's a reason that we had such wacky seven kids and we're still all alive today. That woman had eyes all over herself. The first creature is like a lion, the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle, getting weird again. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, are getting really weird. And day and night, they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, you know what, if you, if you say forever, that's enough. Isn't it weird to say forever and ever? I mean, forever's forever, right? Can you see that the guy writing this is going, this just this is bigger than I can ever express. The 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever. And they'll cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you our Lord and our God to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. When I read that, can I tell you what just pushed me over the edge for weirdness is I totally can envision the whole thing. It's a different realm. I get it. I see some structure. It's loose. I see some beauty. It's vast. But what is amazing to me is that I believe in my heart that God is all powerful, that, there, that I know that he is. No one's more powerful than God because that would be God, Right? And I believe that because he's the most powerful, I'm so grateful that he's also loving. We know that about him, right? He's actually approachable. He actually took a human being and said, come look at my throne, right? That's how much of a relationship he wants with us. That makes sense to me. Therefore, all the glory I could give, I would want to give to him. All the honor I could give, I would want to give to him. But this is what is weird and perplexes me, that he says that he's also also able to receive power. How can a God who's all powerful receive more power? In worship. Do you understand the significance of the moment when we enter into worship? We're actually giving God what he deserves, power. And he's the only one I would ever trust with more power. Amen? Amen. That's what's really going on. So when we come together and we think we're singing songs and we think we're doing all this stuff, can I tell you, 
Don't think about that. Think about empowering God to break through the nonsense in this physical realm that keeps him limited as he is building this temple in your very heart. Think like that. Let him out. Let him redesign your home. Let's quit watching HTGs or whatever, Property Brothers stuff, and let's start watching. Rebuild it. Come on, build it. Make a difference. Take our community and make it something. And do it in a supernatural way because these stupid houses don't look so good. And I don't like trends. Especially if it's tile. I've done so much stone and tile stuff. And then when it changes 10 years and now it's got to be mirrors instead of ceramic. Now you're ripping it out. Hey, if he does it, it's forever and ever. And we get so fascinated with all this stuff. And I promise you, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Then all this stuff falls into place. So... I think it's fascinating that this is true and you know in your hearts that it's true that power's on the move when we worship. So sometimes if we believe that, our attitude by which we bring to worship will be very different. I'm acknowledging that there's times in my life and probably in yours that you just don't feel that powerful, that you don't even feel like coming or approaching this throne. And today's message is gonna be let's break through that. Let's just break through it and watch what happens when we empower this amazing God. And if that's not good enough, then let me tell you this, he commands you to worship. So forget that, I'm acknowledging it's in your best interest. We are commanded by God in the 10 commandments to worship. If you go to the very last chapter in the book of Revelation, you are told in command form, worship God. So there's no excuse. There's, there's no, well, you know, I'm just, I'll, I'll think about it. I'm going to go to Yosemite Park and I'm going to look up at the beautiful trees and that will be my worship. Get real. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Been there, done that. He created that rock. And by the way, my wife and I got in a huge fight in that park, so it's not that peaceful. <laughs> I'm telling you. It, was, it wasn't a pretty trip. I couldn't wait to get out of Yosemite. My wife couldn't wait to get me out of this. Listen, guys, there's nothing on this earth. There's no little cool football game. There's nothing that compares to empowering the living God to be himself. All right. So I'd like to define worship a little bit for you. You'll, you'll see that I've given you a, a handout because we've got a lot to cover and, I, and we have limits on time. So I, I'm setting this up and then I talked with Pastor Dave and you can use these in your life groups and there's a couple questions in bold so I'd suggest that you consider using those um, when you meet and follow up. Um, in defining worship, can I first tell you what it's not? It's not about what someone else is doing. It's about what God has done. So that's where we go wrong sometimes. Sometimes we, we come to worship because we feel happier because of the way we've been treated. Or we come to worship and we're looking around about what other people have done and we think they shouldn't be here or they're in my seat. I don't know what we're thinking sometimes. But it's not about what other people have done. Some of us, even this very day, we've had our human lives disrupted dramatically. Come on, tell the truth. Even this very day, we got rough news. I've got a life group. We meet on Sunday mornings, friends. We keep it real. So we're not in this sedate little thing where things don't go rough in life. Uh, they do. And so some of us have had it hard today. And yet here we are. Come on. It's not about what they've done. It's not what about what's been done to us. It's not about what's gone wrong. It's about what he has done and what he wants to do, just give him a chance. And if you think he wants to do it now, wait till he gets a little bit more powerful and watch what he does. This is, in my notes, so this is, they'll probably be screaming right here. <laughs> it's not about the setting or the music. Oh my Lord, can I tell you the pain inflicted on music ministers? 
and how much I've heard over the years as a senior pastor is it, we want choruses, we want hymns, we want da 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 dums, too loud, too close. I just like, yeah, I appreciate all that. Can I tell you what I want? I want some drums. I want a uh, Hammond keyboard <laughs> that can just sing and get on with it. And I want a guy who plays the bass guitar like Kevin where you can bounce. <laughs> That's all I need. That's all I need. I'm, and I'm kind of hitting on the throne right about there. I don't know what you need, but I'll tell you what scripture says, that he needs a new song. He says that right in his word. He's looking for a new song. Something that when we come together, it moves him. It's not road. It's not liturgy. It's not because we're supposed to. It's because we want to bring him something new because he's worthy of all of our newness. And he's looking to go to a new place. And so I can't wait to where we get to do something new in church when we come together to worship. It's not about what went wrong. It's about that even death has lost its sting. So sometimes we hold back because we feel almost like, Lord, I'd like to give you my worship, but until things go better, I'm holding back. Listen, there's nothing you can do that could make him love you any more than he already has. He's proven that he died on the cross. We sang about it earlier today. Why would you hold back? What more would you have him do for you? Come on, people. So I come to worship sometimes, not just because of a message or the music. I come just because I need to give it up. And I need to be around people who can give it up. I'll tell you some of the three things that I've enjoyed most in my life, and they're kind of interesting. One is I've had the privilege of worshiping in major house African-American black churches. And man, they, they start slow, and then you can feel the rumble, and then the earthquake, and it is awesome. It just is. And man, I, I tell you what, there's a difference between never getting to hear the rumble. And sometimes, sometimes I'm going, I think I can hear the rumble. But when you hear the rumble, all of a sudden, I, man, I'm, start, I'm getting ready. I'm coming, coming in at this thing. I've had, and I know this is going to sound weird, and I'm probably saying this wrong. I used to speak conversational Spanish. Now I don't. I left just too many years ago. And so I think I'm looking for Lenore. But the, when you have the 15-year-old coming out, Sierra? Yeah. Have you ever been to one of those? You want to know about a party. It is so awesome. It's like these reserved, nice, quiet girls get to come out. And they're coming out in style, let me tell you. And the, the vibrance, the excitement, the whole culture's coming out. And they're to honor this young woman coming of age. Can you imagine if, if we could worship like that? Hey, Lord, I'm coming out. I'm yours. I'm bought with a price. You live in me. Man, I've given it up. Come on, friends. Who's 15? <laughs> and then I just got back from the Philippines. I was, I was asked, I didn't even know I was going to be speaking at a church, a large church in the Philippines. And those guys sang in Tagalog in the region I was at. I didn't understand a word they were singing. I couldn't understand a word. But man, was I busting out. You know, I didn't have to pick up on the words. Those, uh, those guys are so full of love and joy and life and family. It all comes together. And I could see for the first hand how you move from private worship to corporate worship. They come together because they need each other. Yeah. And when they're sitting there, 3,000 people in the auditorium, they are not holding it back. Yeah. They're getting happy. Because they're looking around, they're not alone. I'm telling you, private worship should just prime the pump for corporate worship. 
If we're worshiping like dogs, it's because we don't get it at home. We're not putting it into motion and we don't value the people around us. I need you. And there should be no church in Lakewood that worships better than Redeem because at least we're somewhat diverse. Come on. I'm looking for some Filipinos to charge us up. And I can say that I've been working with it for 20 years and they've been just hoping I might get a little bit more Filipino myself. They're just holding up hope. Worship is a supernatural encounter with God resulting in spiritual transactions. Can we look at Revelation 5, 8, please? And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So we know that one spiritual transaction happens. When you and I pray, somehow, and I'm... I'm, I'm acknowledging I don't know how. But when we pray, just like God spoke words and then people came into existence, just like everything else, when we speak words of prayer, they have a forever nature that go up to the very throne of God. Do you get that? That's a spiritual transaction that happens when we just pray. That's just prayer. It's going where? To the throne of God. That's reason enough to pray, amen? And then you look at Revelation 8, 3 and 5. And another angel came and stood at the altar holding the golden incense. And much incense was given to him that he might add it to the prayers of the saints. I just think that's almost funny. Can you read between the lines a little bit? Like they're praying kind of pathetically. <laughs> like when we pray, there's little embers going on. But when God's looking for some real fire, he adds some of his own incense to it. I'm, I'm good with that, are you? I mean, it, that, the fact that anything I speak can get to the throne of God is good enough. I don't mind if he puts much more fire on top of mine. Oh man, I'm not in the right church today. <laughs> in the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hands and the angel took the censer and he filled it with the fire of the altar and he threw it to the earth and there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. The throne of God hit heaven when the angel was released by God to take those prayers and throw them back. Can you see what really happens? That's the spiritual transaction of what happens when you hit the throne. Already when you see the throne, what was around it? Lightning, thunder, earthquakes. He takes our prayers, adds them to them, till some monster-sized angel guy throw those to earth, whoom, and now something, the power from the altar and throne of God hits earth and changes the physical realm to have a little bit of opportunity to experience the supernatural realm. Bam. Amen. So if you don't think I'm praying like I mean it, I can just tell you you're wrong. I'm praying like I mean it. And when I worship, I want to worship like I mean it. I'm worshiping so that I can see a little thunder, a little lightning, and a little earthquake. Why? because I want him to do something significant with the power that I give him. Now, why don't we do it? If all this is true, friends, I was in the fourth grade in the city of Houston, Texas, trying to get a 10-speed bicycle. I just wanted a 10-speed bicycle so bad. And so zero money, so I had a grandfather who had an old lawnmower. He said, I'm gonna give you my lawnmower, I'm gonna give you a can of gas, I'm gonna fill it up one gallon. You go knock on doors, and you tell them you'll mow their lawn for four bucks. That's what he told me to ask him. And then you're going to make money, buy gas, take care of the lawnmower. And by the end of the summer, he said, you'll be able to afford a bike. What he forgot to tell me is that in Houston, it's 95 degrees, 95% humidity. And four bucks wasn't enough. I was getting robbed every house I went to. <laughs> Within a couple of months, I had my 
10-speed bicycle up and got stolen. Isn't that pathetic? <laughs> I know it. It's like funny sad. But anyway, it actually worked. Can I tell you, I never really loved mowing the lawn, but I knew that I would get a bike out of the deal. Can I tell you when it comes to coming to church and worshiping, maybe it feels a little awkward, maybe it even seems kind of weird, but I'm looking for thunder and lightning and an earthquake, so I'm gonna pay the price, even I have to worship with some of you guys, come on. I'm bringing it though. You can count on James Martin Schaefer to bring it when I come. Because I'm not going home without my bicycle. <laughs> I want it. I was in the Philippines. It was too subdued. I looked at Bishop Santos. He had me sitting right next to him. Thank God we weren't up on the stage. But like in the first thing I said, hey man, this place is just feeling like it could go any minute. And he just smiled. And I said, would, you, would it be okay if I just uh, got a little bit outside of myself? He said, do it. Do it. So I walked all the way over. You can, it's on a, I think I, if you look up TFBC or whatever, you'll see it. But I walked way over to a corner where I couldn't be seen. And in my little German Jewy way, I just started dancing up a storm. <laughs> and it felt so good. I look over after I'm doing it and the whole place was doing it. The whole place just busted out and danced. That was pretty fun, but you know what was amazing? Uh, and this is gonna sound weird. I got home that day and peed blood, urinated blood. So how, yeah, it's like having your bicycle stolen, right? One thing, don't ever say from the pulpit, urinated blood. Anyway, I got home <laughs> and what had happened is a year ago I had a kidney stone. After the surgery, this, uh, this was my second one, they said, you know, we hate to tell you this, there's another one and it's gonna come out, it's gonna be bad. So I've been sitting there nervous this whole time thinking, oh no, it's going to come out, you know, at some point. My first thoughts, and I said this to the doctor, and why didn't you take that one out too? Are you kidding me? But anyway, um, so I'm sitting there thinking, all right, it's going to come out. So I go, I dance, dance up a storm. I'm having a blast. I go home, take a nap. I wake up and I think, oh Lord, I can't believe you. It caused this kidney stone to come out at this time. This is terrible. I had consulting meetings with them for the rest of the week over dealing with 6,500 people in the structure, all this stuff. I said, I don't have time for this. And I felt like the Lord goes, no, uh, you, don't, you don't understand what really took place. I never had another problem the whole time I was there. Yeah, is that cool or what? So the last time, surgery and two weeks of being laid up. The time before that, two weeks of pain pills and awful. I asked my son and people, I was pathetic. This time, one little instant in the restroom and I'm done. And I, I, I'm not making this stuff up, people. That's sometimes what the Lord will do. Dance a little bit and maybe you'll pee blood too. <laughs> that didn't sound right at all. That's my attempt to be unfiltered like Dave. Dave, you're so good at it, I have to force it. I'm bad. All right, if you, if you too want to be able to pass a kidney stone, here's the three things you need to do. All right, number one is understand that when you go to worship, there's going to be woe times. You're going to be feeling down. You're not going to be feeling it. David knew this. Half the Psalms, actually a little bit more half the Psalms, are, psalm, are Psalms of lament. In other words, I'm not feeling it. This is making no sense to me, and I'm kind of miffed with you, Lord. But he still went to worship him and met with him anyway. If you look at these passages, it's remarkable. I think God loves our lament and woe worship more than he likes our wow worship sometimes, right? Because even though things are hurting, we're still to him, and when you go to him when you're hurting, can I tell you what happens? The empathy that he gives you turns to energy for us. His empathy equals energy, and we get re-energized. I'd rather have some empathy from the Lord and some energy so I get out of the track of depression, right? Lament is okay. You don't have to stay there. If you're feeling lament, worship. Tell the truth. The second one is what I call wow worship. Wow is about almost one-third, not quite, but if you read all the Psalms, and I've read them all, and I've coded them, W-O-E, W-O-W, and W-A-R. 
because they're really one of those three things. And I've coded them and looked at this very thoroughly. But the wow ones are when David just says, wow, I'm celebrating you, I'm praising you. Who would have ever believed it could be this good? And when things are good, we need to say something. We don't spend enough time getting happy. We should just get happy more often. I'd like to acknowledge that um, I am educated at one of the finer seminaries in the United States, really in the world, uh, at Golden Gate Theological uh, Seminary out of San Francisco. I got a master's from there and a doctorate. Uh, the Southern Baptist seminaries are some amazing institutions. Just to get a master, it's a three-year program where you're learning the language. It's intensive. Get amazing education. You know what's interesting is when you come out, you have all this education. <laughs> didn't see like one class on worship. We didn't really do the stuff. You study the stuff. So anyway, it's interesting. I've been in all these very, you know, I've been in a, a part of some large, influential Southern Baptist and Baptist churches. You know what's interesting? is the dignity in all of those churches hasn't moved my heart or probably even the heart of God. It's not our dignity it's, that really moves him. It's our response to his wow that moves him. It's like a humble thing. And I'm just reminded, this is when it really clicked in for me. Here's David, he's moving the throne into his own you know, hometown. He's just all excited. He goes over the top. Remember the story? He starts dancing and he takes off some of his clothes. And so he's, he's a little kind of like dancing in his underwear with a linen ephod, right? I mean, it's not the most prestigious, dignified thing to do. But he's just so happy he can't help himself. And the whole place goes crazy, except his wife. <laughs> I don't blame her. I'm not blaming her. Isn't she looks out the window, which already tells you there's a problem. I'll watch him from a distance. And she says, I saw how undignified you were today. And he said, you know what? Uh, from your vantage point, I can appreciate that portion of truth. But can I tell you what was really happening? I got happy. And sometimes when I'm in this household, not so happy. Out there, it was really happy. I was unregulated before the Lord. I was dancing. And he said, and that's the kind of dignity I'm looking for. How will I handle myself in front of other people? I will do the right thing day in and day out, but I will not hold back a celebration when it's time to praise God. Yeah. Then the war side. War, it's interesting, about 20%, a little under 20% of the Psalms uh, that David wrote had to do with war. Isn't that fascinating? So when he's saying, when I worship, sometimes I just have to go to war. This isn't wow, this isn't woe, this is all right. As for me and my house, we're going. We're not holding back. There is an enemy. He hates everything God stands for. He's working against it and not on my watch. But the enemy's greater than I am as a human being. He's more deceiving. He's more cunning. He's been at it longer. So I need to have a spiritual breakthrough to make sure I can move beyond this problem. And so he saw worship as an opportunity for war. So sometimes when I come here, I want you to know I am just warring for my community. If you think you come to church and everything's okay and there's not any wars, you're deceived. There is the wars here. Why? Because Satan, even in his temptation of Jesus, went after him like a laser right during the temptation. And what did he want? He said, I'll give you everything now if you'll just do one thing. If you'll just worship me. He knew everything would turn on the power of worship. And he didn't want Jesus warring against him in worship. He wanted to lay it down and admit that he was a loser and couldn't do it because Satan was greater. Not on my watch. He's not greater. He's not. 
but it feels like it sometimes. It looks like it sometimes. And that's why I go and I worship in war because I want it to be realigned the way it really is. And friends, we sometimes, I think when you war worship, you have to step out a little bit. You just can't do that quietly. So we as an American church, we don't get it because we hardly ever come to church to war. What are you supposed to do when you go to church? Behave well. I'm asking you not to behave well. I'm asking you to stand up, step out, to say I've had enough and this is not going to continue. Because that's not what the Lord died for. That's not the temple he's building. There's a transaction that will take place by faith and it's going to happen now. So I'm listening for the rumble and it's going to start with me. Now, when you see the war worship, would you uh, bring up the passage of 2 Kings 3, 26 to 27? I know there's a lot more. 2 Kings chapter 3, verses 26 through 27. This is, this is a terrifying passage for me. It says, when the king of Moab saw that the battle had gone against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through to the king of Edom. Why? Because he thought, if I can get out of here and get to Edom, I'll get help and I'll be able to defeat these Jews. But they failed. Then he took his firstborn son, who was to succeed him as a king, as king, and he offered him as a sacrifice on the city wall. The fury against Israel was great. They withdrew and they returned to their own land. Can you see the power that was released through this pagan king out of desperation, sacrificing his firstborn son who would be king in this place? And I'm not making this stuff up. This is the way it went down. What did this pagan king know about worship that we don't? I feel like sometimes we just go home too early. The Jews, in my opinion, went home too early. Oh, we feel the dread. This is awful. They go home. When they, if they would have just really known the beauty of the scriptures, that a Messiah would come, God's own son. And he would sacrifice his own son so that we would never have to. And that every wrong would be righted because of what Christ accomplished on that cross. And that hell itself would be defeated and that the sting of death would be done away with. That no victory is outside of those who belong to him. And it was prophesied. They didn't have to take their own son. They could have just stood and worshiped and said, oh, deliverer, come. Not this. Deliverer, come. And so when I'm worshiping, he's done it for me, just like he'd even done it in advance for them. Right? He's done it for me. He's done it for those who will come after us. We need to apply the reality, the victory that we have to our now moment even before it's evident that we need it. Or you see the situation, but stand in it, battle for it, fight for it. He did it, right? He did it. The pagans are doing it. It's our time to war and worship. I don't know exactly what that'll look like. I've probably already gone over time, so I apologize for that. But I just want to close with my favorite verse because sometimes it's hard for us to see what's really taking place in worship. But what's really taking place in worship is that God is calling us into a relationship with him that he feels very empowered by. That's what's really taking place. And he knows that when we stay close to him in worship that it changes us and it also changes him. Isn't that beautiful? That's what's really going down. And in that, we end up getting to rejoice and grow in intimacy and trust with him. So if we can look at Zephaniah 3.17, please, do we have it? The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior, and he will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love, and he will dance over you with shouts of joy. 
That's what he's doing right now. Can you just look and see a little bit? Can you see him on the throne right now? He's not sitting there in a little robe. He's not saying, hey, little jester person, come here and make me laugh. He says that he's exulting over us. It says that he's quiet in his love. It's a deep, deep love. So sometimes I see my Baptist friends and they are quiet in their love. And I get that. But look, can we do some exulting every now and then too, Baptist guys? Come on. And then this last one, I just want to know you, it's straight from the Pentecostal handbook. <laughs> the singing over you is shouts of joy. If you look at it in Hebrew, the word is twirl. That's what it is. He can't stand still. Amen. And not only that, but the word Shouts of singing is the word, if you look at it in Greek, it's a shrieking war cry. It ought to just about terrify us what he's doing over us. But every now and then we just need to bust out. Just, just bust out. He's doing it for us. Wouldn't it be nice when he comes over and says, will you dance if we said yes? I thought you'd never ask. Not, no, I'm too dignified. Go ask someone. Come on. And so what I decided to do today is to ask my life group to come up and dance with me. And I'm kidding. But they're so Because <laughs> they would, man, let me tell you, they're awesome. Um, Dave, I think our time is up. I was like, man, I want to play keys now. I've missed my calling. But you know what, what hit me? And I was, it just hit me when Marty was speaking. I was like, you know, I wonder... Because he was like, man, if you could add this to your worship experience, it's going to be incredible. But I think God has the same excitement yes. when he talks about the instrument of the human heart. Oh, if you could just get the human heart involved. Yes. If the human heart would be activated, if you could actually get it to turn on during a worship time together, man, worship is going to be incredible. And I'm going to be able to move on their behalf. This is what Marty was talking about. And so as we sing this song, you know what it is? It's activating the instrument of the heart. Can we do that today? Can we do that today? And so, so come on, lift your hands as an extension of your heart. And I know we're gonna prepare our, our giving, but we're also gonna take this time. And Lord, we want to worship you with everything we have. God, I pray we'd hold nothing back. I pray that nothing would be on our mind other than being present with you in this very moment. I ask that, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, that people would experience your presence in a way they've never experienced it before. And God, I believe that when we worship like that, Lord, I've seen it. I've heard it. I know people have experienced it. People being healed during worship. Because where the presence of the Lord is, there is liberty. Come on, let's worship God with the instrument of our heart. Amen.